Well, dear friends, if you please turn with me in your Bibles there to 2 Kings chapter 15. We continue now in our week-by-week exposition of God's Word through 2 Kings 15. And what we are seeing now is the coming to the end of the reign of the kings in Israel. And we read there of the very last king of Israel. There never was going to be another king, Hoshea. We read of him. Hoshea, the very last king of Israel. Five kings. We read here in this chapter of Israel, of course, as mentioned in this chapter, kings of Judah. There are ten kings to come until there will be no more kings in Judah, but five kings in Israel. And then never will they have a king again until the king of kings would come into this world. We read of the king of kings, the Lord Jesus there in Matthew chapter 2. And that's very striking, isn't it? God said he would judge this nation. He said that he would bring plague upon plague. He said he would bring the enemies upon them if they forsook his laws, forsook his commandments. Israel were under what we call a covenant of works. And that was all dependent upon them. If they obeyed that covenant, God would keep them. But God has promised to save the people by a covenant of grace. There is the covenant of works. Adam was also under a covenant of works, was he not? Adam, do this and thou shalt live. Adam, in the day that you sin, you will die. And death, we read, has spread to all men. But right there in the garden was pronounced in Genesis 3.15, what we call the Proto-Evangelum, the first gospel promise, the promise of the Savior to come into the world. And we read... In Galatians 4, 4, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, made under the law. Jesus Christ, when he came into the world, was not recognized as a king. Even Pilate said to him, Art thou a king? And Jesus said, Thou hast said it. But he said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he said, My servants would fight. The great battle, my friends, was done there at Calvary on the cross. But also there was the battle in his life against the devil and against the world. Remember how he was tempted, sore, in the wilderness after 40 days of not eating. And then he went into the wilderness and Satan tempted him. But remember what he said, the prince of the power of the air cometh but hath nothing in me. The perfect man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, and whom we will consider. But what I want us to do this morning, as we come to this section here, where we see the last kings of Israel, and Hoshael will span into Second Kings 17. It will go on to speak about Hoshea, the very last king, Hoshea of Israel, What I want us to do is to consider these last five kings in complete contrast to the Lord Jesus. And they really are in complete stark contrast to the Lord Jesus, the king of his people, the true king of Israel. And now when we speak of Israel, the Bible speaks of a spiritual Israel, those who are circumcised in the heart 
those who were born again by the Spirit of God. And they recognized the true King, the Lord Jesus. They recognize him in the Bible and they acknowledge him in the life. And they bow down, as it were, and they kiss the Son and they acknowledge him in their life now and they serve him. They are the ones, my friends, that are going to be with him in heaven, in glory soon. So I want us to see the fall now, the demise of Israel because of their sin. And here, this is a picture really, isn't it, of man. Remember how Israel always wanted a king. Even in the days of Samuel. Remember the Lord said to Samuel, they've not rejected you, Samuel, but they've rejected me. God was always king of his people, wasn't he? Always. But they rejected Samuel. Samuel, the prophet and priest, and the one who was leading them by the word of God. But men rejected the word of God. And then God gave a king. Who did he give? Saul. Head and shoulders above everyone else. Handsome man, but an ungodly man. Then there was going to be a king from a different line, David. David, the king of Judah. One thing we notice about these kings now of Israel, and as we see, they are not following a family line. There's no family line here, but not so in Judah. There's a family line, and there's a promise going to come from David. Now, most of these kings, I say, are wicked. Shalom, verse 13, Manaim, look at verse 16, Pekiah, verse 23, Pekah, verse 27, and Hoshea, all of them ungodly. In fact, we could write this over all the kings of Israel, ungodly. But there was that godly line that was running through, that crimson cable or cord of redemption in Judah. However, not all even in Judah were godly. We even saw last week how Uzziah, he sinned against the Lord. Remember how the Lord smote him. We considered more carefully, didn't we, there in Second Chronicles 26, how the Lord smote him. How he went into the temple of the Lord and tried to offer incense, tried to usurp the office of the priest. Now, as we said, there only, there's only ever been one foreshadowing of Christ, and that was Melchizedek, who was a priest and a king. And that's who the Lord Jesus is. And of course, Uzziah tried to usurp that office, but only Christ truly has that office. Then we see Jotham, Ahaz, terrible, wicked king, who we will see. As I said, there are ten kings of Judah still to come. And only really two, we could say, are godly. Hezekiah and Josiah. Manasseh, it seemed at the end of his life there was repentance. But most of his life was so ungodly. Then there's Ammon, then Jehoahaz, also known as Shalom, not to confuse things. There was a Shalom in Judah, and then Jehoiakim, and then Jehoiakim, if that's not confusing enough. And then there's Zedekiah, the last king of Judah. So ten kings in Judah to come. But now we're going to concentrate this morning in chapter 15 on the last five kings of Israel. And they are in stark contrast to the Lord Jesus. And there are many lessons for us to learn from this. 
We think of this time of the year. Now, we don't celebrate Christmas as the world does. We rejoice in the Savior to come. As I said earlier, we don't even know the day that he actually was born. But we do thank God that he sent his son. And we don't enter into the worldliness of the festivities of this world, people getting drunk and celebrating that which they know nothing of. But we worship him, the one king eternal. Now what we will see in Israel is this constant convulsion of of evil, king after king. And one king is killing the next because he wants power, because he wants prestige. But ultimately, this is the judgment of God. Because God is, as it were, letting Israel loose upon men. And he will finally let them loose upon the Assyrians. The world will bring judgment, and that's true, for the apostate church. And we will think this morning as well of the apostate church. We know that the apostate church really is the harlot the harlot of which we read of in the book of the Revelation. Now, what we will think here this morning is these kings, and over and against the contrasting to our blessed Lord Jesus. Now, what we're going to see, it's not long now after King Hoshea, and that when he dies, the year will be 722 BC, and Israel will be no more as a nation. No more. They will assimilate and become the Sumerians. In fact, they already are the Sumerians, and they will never have a king again. And then 136 years after 722 BC, the time will be 586 BC, when Judah in the south are carried away into captivity. And they will go into captivity for 70 years. And then there will be a period when they come back of a building of the temple again, and uh, a building back of Jerusalem, and then there will be a 400-year period of silence, which we call the intertestamental period. And there is no king in Judah or in Israel. And that's very telling, isn't it? No king until the Lord of glory comes into his temple, the Lord Jesus. Not to take up an earthly throne, my friends, but to take up his throne in heaven. As I said last week, the most alluded to verse in the New Testament, and you can search it out for yourself and do all the studies yourself, is that verse, Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand. And God now wants us to know where his son is. He sat on his throne, and he reigns. Until when? We're told. Until he makes his enemies his footstool. One day he's going to come and all the nations will bow to him and confess that Jesus Christ, my friends, is Lord. Just turn you there just quickly to Hebrews 1 verse 8. Here's confirming again. Here's a wonderful verse. You can show all those who deny that Jesus Christ is God. In fact, you can even show the Jehovah's Witnesses from their own Bibles that Jesus Christ is God. Hebrews 1.8, But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, 
is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. The father says to the son, O God, he calls him and he praises him. And then look down at the verse 13. Again, I said, Psalm 110 verse 1 is the most quoted verse of the Old Testament that we find in the New Testament. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? And so on. See, we have these wonderful proofs where the Lord is. And the Hebrews, who Paul was writing to, the saved Jews in his day, he says, I want you to know what God the Father said. He's told the Son already, sit at my right hand. He's king. He's done his work. And we're not to look for an earthly kingdom. We're told when he comes, he will create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. And we read there, didn't we, from Matthew chapter 2. There came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Well, the Magi there, they knew they, they were looking for a king because Daniel spoke of him. And uh, even that wicked man, Balaam, spoke of his star. And there he was. The bright and the morning star, the Lord Jesus. Now, without any further ado, let us come straight to uh, these comparisons. First of all, we have Shalom. In, uh, well, we really pick up, notice in verse 10, Shalom conspired against Zechariah, and Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, that's Zechariah, and smote him before the people and slew him and reigned in his stead. And now, it's interesting, Shalom, he's only king for a month. It's true, the scriptures say, they that live by the sword shall die by the sword. It wasn't long, was it? Look at verse 13, Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the nine and thirtieth year of Uzziah, king of Judah. We thought of him last time. And let's not get confused, our minds here are on Israel in the north now. We're not thinking of Judah in the south, but these last five kings of Israel in the north. And notice, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. And then, lo and behold, another man rises up, Manaim, the son of Gadah, went up from Terzah and came to Samaria and smote Shalom. What a man sows, my friend, that shall he often reap. If a man lives by the sword, he shall surely die by the sword. But how different to the Lord Jesus. He who created the heavens and the earth. You remember when Judas betrayed him and uh, the guards came to apprehend the Lord Jesus and Peter takes out his sword and Peter smites off Malchus's ear. What do we read? Verse 51 of Matthew 26. And behold, one of them which were with him, Jesus, stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priest and smote off his ear. Then said Jesus unto him, Put again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my father? He shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels. 
But how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be? My friend, the Lord Jesus could have destroyed everybody. But he had to be put to death. How different. He who had power over men. He healed Malchus's ear. Because Malchus, as we thought recently, he would have to testify. This is the Lord Jesus who we apprehended. This is Judas who betrayed him. There would have to be witnesses there at his trial. And Peter would also have to, wouldn't he? Peter was commissioned to be a preacher of the gospel. And this was even a capital offense. But how gracious the Lord is. How different is he to the kings of the earth? Now we are called as God's people. Not to be brawlers, but to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, aren't we? We in the same way are to have the spirit of Christ in this world. Our warfare is not carnal, but it's spiritual. Isn't it? We have souls to preach to. False teachers, they're charlatans. They will only expose themselves. We have so much work, dear Christians, to do. Look at this man, Shalom. He's out for himself, but he soon dies very quickly. But if we're about the Lord's business, he will strengthen us. Look at the apostles. They did mighty things for the Lord. And you know, the Lord, so long as we're busy and engaged in his work, we've got nothing to fear. The old preachers used to say, I'm immortal until God calls me home. And that's the truth. That's, that's the spirit they had. And, and we're not to worry about the false teachers. They'll only expose themselves. If you preach the truth, truth will always expose error. It always will. And the devil will have us trying to fight. fight. Yes, there are certain fires we've got to fight. And sometimes they'll be in the church. False doctrine comes in the church. We've got to sort that out. But you know, there are so many other battles that we can be busy in. And the devil wants us to be busy with things and not be about the business of preaching the word. We must be preaching the word. We are, we, we are called to preach the word in season and out of season. Yes, we expose error. But you know how we do it? We do it by preaching the truth. That's the best way. It's always the way. There are many, of course, they, Paul will tell us in Philippians, they preach the gospel out of selfish ambition. But he still prays God. The gospel was being preached. The charlatans, they'll be shown up for what they are. Their life will show really what they are. But you and I, we must, we must keep a humble mind and uh, just keep preaching the word. The Lord will save his people. Paul says, to the Philippians, you, he says, whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the faithful word of life. But look at this man, Shalom. Nothing to show for himself. What have we to show for ourselves, friends? Jesus said, if ye abide in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. The man that is bearing fruit to the Lord, we can know he's abiding in Christ. The next king I want us to think about here. Manaim. He kills Shalom. 
And Shalom is, is not long king amongst, that's all. But look at him. For Menaim, the son of Gedeah, went up, verse 14, from Terzah and came to Samaria and smote Shalom, the son of Jabesh, in Samaria and slew him and reigned in his stead. Now, many believe that this man, Menaim here, was most likely a garrison commander. And uh, he went up to Terza. But I want you to notice this terrible spirit that this man's got. And he, he is typical of lost men, pride. Many of the coastal cities don't recognize him as king. And his ego is dealt a mighty blow. So what does he do? He rips open women's wombs, slays them, kills the children because of his pride. Notice we have a record of his brutal and vile sins in verse 16 to 18. First of all, it's, you know, some people say, well, this is sin against man and God. Well, all sins are against God, aren't they? Remember when David sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba? What did David cry in Psalm 51? Against thee and thee alone, Lord, have I sinned. Every sin that we, we perpetrate against fellow human beings ultimately is a sin against God. Because it's pride, isn't it? The heart of every sin is pride. And we see in verse 16, Then Manaim smote Tipsa and all that were therein, and the coast thereof from Terza. Why? Because they opened not to him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't receive him as king. They wouldn't welcome him in, into the cities. Therefore he smote it. But my friends, if we're not careful, we can have that same spirit as Christians. Sadly, remember James and John, the sons of thunder. They were the Lord Jesus. They were, they've got the Lord, the prince of preachers. Not Charles Spurgeon, but the Lord Jesus. And the cities don't receive him. And they say, Lord, should we call down hellfire from heaven? Matthew 2, 12, we read. Let me just turn there, I beg your pardon. We read in Luke, sorry, Luke 9, verse 51, Then it came to pass, when time was come that he should be received up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face, and they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. And they did not receive him, because his face was though he would go to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, would thou that we command fire to come down from heaven? and consume them, even as Elias did. But he turned and rebuked them and said, Ye know not what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man is not come to destroy man's lives, but to save them. They went to another village. See, they were filled with pride. And you know, when people don't receive us, we mustn't retaliate. We must humbly back off and move on. That's always the spirit, isn't it? Man is not good. This is what is teaching us. Look at this man. And sometimes sins can be 
dormant in us that we don't realize are there. I mean, who would have thought that this man would rip open mother's bellies and kill the child in there? But you do enough to deflate a man's ego. You do enough to hurt his pride. There's no telling what a man can do. The heart is wicked. Deceitful above all things, my friends. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? And let me say this. The sins of all the world are in my heart. And they're in your heart too. And this is why the scriptures say, Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. We need to watch and pray against all temptation. We see it here with this king. Well, he becomes king. Many don't receive him. And so he kills the innocent. Well, the whole world is, is evil, isn't it? I mean, look at the Holocaust. Look at genocide in Rwanda. Look, look at the world. Look, look at what man's pride does. Look at this recent war. We, we see, again, mother's stomachs opened up. I know we've got children here, but that's man's heart. The wickedness of man's heart. It's fueled by pride. He's, it's all fueled here by not being welcomed into these cities of Israel. Let me say this, friend. You have to be very careful because sin is dormant in the heart. Your heart, my heart. Given the circumstances, sin can grow. It can increase in your heart. You see, a man is, is bent against something. Look at Pharaoh. We thought with the children again this morning. How he hardened his heart, continued. The, the plagues got more and more intense. And yet his heart increased. More evidence shown him. The heart's so hard. And we see this here. It's a terrible thing, isn't it? The world is not good. And this is why it's, it's, it's you know, to be unsaved is a perilous thing, my friend. If you're lost and you have not the Spirit of Christ in you, it's a terrible thing. Pride really is sin against God. And we, we see this here, how that he reigned and he slew these women and children. It's, it's wickedness. Now, all sin is, is terrible. Now, we might say, it says here, furthermore, if you notice, he didn't just do this, but he continued on, he perpetuated. It says, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, and he departed not all his days from the sins of Jeroboam. Now, I, I know what he did by ripping up these women and the children that were, they, they were bearing was wicked, but the Lord says this was evil. Now, you know, somebody might turn around and say, well, he wasn't hurting anybody in verse 18. But he was hurting God. It's an offense against God, false worship. To worship God in an unacceptable way is sin against God. And this is as egregious to God as anything else. We might rightly say, and it's right to say it's terrible to kill people. But friends, when you 
worship God in a wrong way. When you say God is either a bull or we can worship God this way or that way, you reduce God. And when you reduce God, don't be surprised when you become like an animal. When you, if, if you reduce God and man is made in the image of God, when you have such a low view on the sanctity of life, don't be surprised. If the sanctity of life is lowered because you bring down the sanctity of God, don't be surprised. As we said last week, if you compromise with worship of God, you will compromise in your whole life. Because God is the sum and essence of all things. And you don't reduce God to a stick, to a bull. That's an offense. If you do, you will live like an animal. You will behave like an animal. Well, when we sin against others, we sin against God. The greatest sin is to worship another God. You see, other gods don't hold us to the, the standards that God holds us to. All other sins flow from breaking that first commandment. Put it to you this way. All other sins, as I said, flow from that one commandment. If you don't honor God, don't expect to honor men. Don't expect to love men, as you should do. Now, things only get worse as these kings continue here. Manahem, he noticed verse 19, and Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Manahem gave Paul a thousand talents of silver. He's a weak man. He doesn't trust God, does he? If, if he had hope in God, we read in Isaiah, the strength of Israel was to sit still and to wait on the Lord. He never waited on the Lord. He says, you need, you need some money. You need some payoff money. Here it is. I'll give you some money. It's a payoff. He had no hope in God to deliver Israel. Do you see that? And so he gets all the people to pay, and he exacted the money of Israel, even all the mighty men of wealth. It's a payoff. Fifty shekels of silver, each man. So the king of Assyria turned back. But it didn't last long. It just warded him off a little bit. But he was back. See, it doesn't deal with a real problem, does it? This man did not fear God. The greatest blessing a nation can have is a man that fears God. A king that fears God. But it's no more in Israel. You often say a nation gets what it deserves. And that's the case here. Now thirdly, here's another man. We see after the, this king is killed, his son this man dies, King Pekeah, who became king in verse 23 and 24. He perpetuated the same idolatry as his father. And uh, we see that it was a short reign. Verse 23, in the 50th year of Azariah, king of Judah, 
Hekiah, the son of Menahem, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned two years, only a short while, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He parted not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, like father, like son. It's not good, is it? And he carried on. He doesn't have a long reign. Maybe he thought he could just live a long while, but he, he wasn't there. Somebody else now reigns in his stead. Verse 25, but Pekah, the son of Remaliah, captain of his Captain of his conspired against him. We don't know what the conspiracy was, but he smote him in Samaria, in the palace of the king's house. Maybe he thought he was safe there. Can you see this convulsion of evil? What is happening? God is removing his common restraints upon the people here, and he's giving them over to themselves. God's not doing the evil, may I add. But this is what he said he would do. There's chaos. There's no desire to honor God amongst these kings, nor the people. And that's really the problem. There's no fearing of God. Remember even David. David was a godly man. Even when he had opportunity to kill Saul, what did he do? He said, no. Not unless it's the Lord's time and the Lord's will. You see, that's what the fear of God does. But not here. It's man left to himself. And God now, you will see, is coming to an end. The last king is sure to come. Here we're at the fourth king, Pekah. And a short reign. Verse 27. In the two and fiftieth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah the son of Ramah began to reign over Israel in Samaria and reigned 20 years. Might seem like a little longer. It is longer than the last king. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam. You see, it's mentioned again and again. What's the sin of Jeroboam? Golden calf worship. A false representation of Almighty God who made Israel to sin. The whole nation. And here we have another king. And this bull worship continues. It's a flagrant disregard, my friends, of the second commandment. Isn't it? Thou shalt not make any false or graven image of God and bow down to worship. But that's what they did. He's a weak man because he's an unsaved man. And in the days of Pekah, king, verse 29, of Israel came Tigath, Pilser, king of Assyria, and took Ejon and Abel, Beth, Maka, and Janiah, and Kadesh, all these cities, seven cities, notice, and all the land of Naphtali. This foreign king comes, the king of Assyria, and starts to take the land. Here you see things start to get very weak. And he just leaves it. Who would have thought that once the king of Assyria took these cities, that surely this man would stop this golden calf worship? 
But he didn't. They're losing land, they're losing territory, they're losing cities. The inheritance, it's all being taken away. Would God come in and help them? No. Not while God is being blasphemed. Not while God is being blasphemed. And he is, by false worship. False worship, my friends, is blasphemy. And fifthly, finally, the last king of Israel, Hosea. We find him in verse 30. The very last king of Israel. Never have a king again. And Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah. You see, it's just turmoil. There's no successive reign of a dynasty here. It's not the Davidic line, which would be in Judah. But it's man against man, isn't it? Man against, that's the world. It's a dog-eat-dog world, my friend. And that's what you have without God. And he smote him, slew him, and reigned in his stead. Now, if you follow this on, if you just go to chapter 17, you notice chapter 17, verse 1, it it picks up again because it speaks of the kings of Judah in the next chapter. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, began Hoshea, the son of Elah, to reign. So it's picking up on this king again. And you come right down to verse 7, and you see how the king of Assyria in verse uh, 2 to 5 starts to take all the cities and everything else. And it says in verse 7, For so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh. And you notice, come down to verse 23, how the Lord just takes the children away from the land, leads them to Assyria. And it says in verse 23, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said, by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away out of their own land to Syria unto this day. Never a king again. It's solemn, isn't it? It's solemn. Why? Because there was apostasy in the land. Why? Because they were not looking to the great king to come from Judah. And they carried on. Oh, We'll have these golden calf. What was the premise of the whole reason of the golden calf worship? We don't want to join with Judah. We don't want to join with the true worshippers. Remember what Jeroboam said? You people of Israel, you worship here. It's convenient. You can go to Dan. You can go to Bethel. These are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Never mind Judah. Don't go up to Jerusalem three times a year. Jerusalem... The temple and everything in the temple spoke of Christ. He who is the, the, the lamb, who is the sacrifice, who is the altar, who is everything. But that's what false worship does, my friend. And there is a false church. I think it should be left in no doubt after what's happened this last week. When we heard what the Pope said. that the Church of Rome now can bless same-sex relationships. We should be left in no doubt that it is Antichrist. Because what God has said is cursed, is cursed. There are no popes in the Bible, but there have been 266 popes ever since. 
At one time, there were, over t- there were two popes at once, contradicting each other. There is a false church. We are told in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, that's the day of the Lord, shall come, except there be a falling away first, that the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. When a man sits over God's word and says, I will bless what God has cursed, you have to know that's satanic. And it's darkness. And see what happens to those that deny the true and the living God. He forsakes. God is not to be trifled with. There were the high places, wasn't dealt with. And the Lord carried them away. We read of the harlot in the book of the Revelation. Speaking of the one who postulates as the church. As the true bride, who is pictured as the city, coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. The harlot, however, she speaks of herself as a city, as a bride, but she is not. But let me say this, the true bride are those who love the Lord Jesus and who obey him. And don't, they worship him. They worship him who is king, who came from Judah. And who gave his life as a ransom for many. So that they don't live to themselves. So they live to him. And they glorify him. You know so many. This time of the year. This is why we don't do. So called Christmas services. They want. The little baby Jesus. To remain in the crib. That's what they want. Keep him there in the crib. And I'll tell you this, we read little of his early life. We read of his ministry. We read of his kingdom. We read of his cross, and we are told to preach his cross. Yes, I thank God that he humbled himself and came as a little child. But that is not how we're to remember him. We're to remember him. What he's done for us. And where he is now. He's on his throne. We're told he shall reign. Until he makes all of his enemies his footstool. And those who deny the real Christ. Will bow down. When he took the bread. And he took the wine. He was there. He was present. They were symbols. There was his body. There was his his blood flowing through his veins. And yet he took the bread and he said, this is my body. Well, which is the body? Is it this, Jesus, your hands, or the bread? He was showing that it was a symbol. We don't worship the symbols. But we worship him of whom the symbols speak. And we trust in that. There's no power in the bread. No power in the blood. But in Jesus Christ. 
who gave his blood, who gave his body. And we too now must give ourselves to him in loving obedience and service to him. Let us follow no other. We see the great demise of those who reject his word. But we see the great blessing of all those that wait on him. Amen. Amen.